I'm joined with Shantae Armstead, who is the author of several e-books. I welcome my guests onto the Black Book Show. Shantae, can you start by giving an introduction? Tell the listeners a bit more about yourself before I start to ask you some questions about the e-books you've written. Hi, my name is Shantae. I go by Enrich Mom. Um, from I'm a mom, single mom of two daughters, 10 and 15, from Pennsylvania, USA. You know, you're, you, what you just mentioned that you go by name Enrich Mom. How did you come up with that name? Well, the name actually, I was inspired by um, Think by Robert Kawasaki, Think Rich, you know, I mean, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. So that's, and rich is just abundance. So I'm just giving an abundance of knowledge to other moms and parents. So that's where the name Enriched Mom came from. Okay, so I'm going to start with your ebook, Feel Better Home Remedies, um, and which is about how you can treat certain illnesses. Can you explain more about the kind of illnesses you mentioned in the book and uh, give an example of how one or two of them can be treated, as you mentioned in the ebook. Okay, the um, it's def it's not medical advice, so I, I definitely have that disclaimer in there because you know if you're that sick and you need to go to the emergency room, then go to the emergency room. But as a mom, you know, like I mentioned, I'm a single mom, so I'm everything. I'm the provider. I'm the maid. <laughs> you know, I take care of the kids. I have to do it all. So when they were younger and I was working a full-time job, like some, and they were in daycare. Sometimes they would come home from daycare with a cough or a fever or a cold. So, and when you, when you have your children in daycare, like you can't really send them with runny noses. I mean, with runny nose, but they can't be coughing and sneezing or they can't go to daycare. So, you know, as um, in motherhood, it's like, I had to make those decisions like, do I go to work and provide or do I stay home and be with my child? Because it's it can't be both when you're when you're doing everything. So it's like if I don't go to work for three or four days, my check is going to be looking a little shabby and I have bills and rent and all that. So I was just always using home remedies to render those fevers, colds and coughs. So one of the things for like fevers because I know like fevers are scary when you have smaller children and the remedies that I recommend are, I've been using them since my kids were babies. So with fever, you know, it could be a little bit scary because like when they're younger, when they have a fever, they don't want to eat, they don't want to drink. And that could actually cause any adult, even an adult to go into like cardiac arrest. Like your heart will be overworked from dehydration. So one of my remedies is ice pops. Like people don't think, you know, they overlook ice pops, but ice pops, a baby's not even denying an ice pop. So <laughs> it helps like break the fever almost immediately. So that's one of the remedies that I use in the book, because like I said, as a mom, it's like, you don't want to be calling, you don't want to keep giving the medicine and the fever is not breaking, especially when they're teething and stuff like ice pops are a gem. So that's just something that I included in the ebook because it's, it's as simple as that, just to relieve stress, like a $2 pack of ice pops would a, a 10 pack of $2 ice pops could be a remedy and, you know, right back to work the next day or right back to what you have to do. And at least the baby's feeling better because once the fever breaks in, 
you know, normally they'll eat and, you know, get back to their normal self a little bit. You also have an ebook called Panic Attack Relief. Uh, give us an overview of this book. Well, again, with the same thing, like my daughter, she's young. So my da- like I said, my daughters are 10 and 15. So my youngest daughter, she was getting anxiety and I only had, I only had a panic attacks a couple times. So when she was coming to me, like, you know, mom, my heart is racing. You know, I don't know if you ever had panic attacks, but it could feel like, you know, the world is closing in on you. Like what's going on here? My heart is racing. It's about to jump out my chest. So, um, every time she would come to me like that, I would feel so bad for her because it's like, I know what she was going through, but I couldn't physically like I couldn't make it go away so one of the things I started just you know just giving her that physical touch like hugging her so that she would calm down a little bit and then I realized that that was actually a remedy like so it's like because anxiety turned into panic attacks could turn into depression really fast like anxiety could end up panic attacks can really put you into a depression so I my daughter being so young I really didn't want to be taking her to a doctor because the first thing doctors recommend is medication. And I really didn't want my child to be dependent or relying on that. So I just, as she's growing, you know, she still has them a little bit, but not as often. And when she does have them, she's able to cope with it. She has her coping skills so that she, they'll subside a little bit more. And she has that little bit more of control. So she's learning. She's like one of my beta readers. So When she reads it, she's like, mom, I don't understand what this means. Then I know I could tweak the book a little bit so that as long as a parent can read on a, you know, a third or fourth grade level, they'll be able to understand and comprehend and apply the knowledge in the books. And that's going to lead me on to my next question, because you mentioned your your daughter was very young. And obviously you mentioned um, about personal experiences. So I want to say, how old was your daughter when when you're writing, writing that book? And is that book relevant to, you know, to, you know, people that are suffering panic attacks that are like as an older age? Yes. All the, um, all the remedies are for all age. It's not like whether it be, you know, once they're able to recognize those symptoms, because, you know, panic attacks have different symptoms. Not everybody has heart racing. Some people sweat, some people tremble, some people have tingling feelings. So it's just geared really towards anybody that is having those beginning stages because I'm sure the panic attack, I mean, the pandemic probably triggered a lot of stuff in people that they didn't even, some people probably still don't even realize what a panic attack is or, you know, even realize what they're going through. So it's just to really put that out there to, because it gives a little brief explanation. Like I said, none of it is medical advice. It's just ways to avoid running back and forth to the doctor with your child or, you know, just those smaller remedies to get you through. As I mentioned earlier, you've written several ebooks. Now, the third ebook that we're going to talk about that we're going to go on to is your ebook titled Free Advanced Hair Tips, which is for longer, fuller and stronger hair. Now, first and foremost, I want to know who is that marketed for? Who is it for? Is that for black women, black men? Because free advanced hair tips for longer, stronger, fuller uh, hair could be different from, like, say, a male to a female, and depending on ethnicity. So I just wanted you to just um, explain that first. Okay. Yes, the longer, like, my hair is, I've been growing natural hair. So 
my natural hair is natural hair is a process. So with me, one again, once the pandemic started, I couldn't go to hair salons. So <laughs> that was one of the things that I was just over here frustrated because I probably haven't done my own hair in like about probably over 10 years without going to like a salon. So like when everything was closed, I had to figure out some remedies to get my hair, you know, to keep it good, not mad enough and tangled because my hair is long. My hair is like, you know, a little bit past like halfway to my back. So as I'm maintaining it and it's still in the growth process as I'm maintaining it, I needed everything was closed. So I had to find in-house remedies to get my hair. And it's like, even one of the remedies I have in there is the rice water. And it's like, I really see people selling the same exact remedy in my book <laughs> for like $50 a bottle for like a small bottle. And it's like, it's great for all ages. Like if you have, if for people that have mixed kids, if your child is biracial, it's good, like the tangler. And it'll also help you maintain. So I do go through the, the hair textures and um, and the book as well. So you could see, and I go through, you know, these remedies work best for um, 4C through 2A hair. Or So I definitely brief, brushed briefly on the hair textures that it works for. But the remedies are more for, like to keep it natural, like, because I don't use a lot of chemical base on my hair. So I try to keep it as natural as possible so that my hair continues to grow and not to grow evenly. And it's still manageable as it gets long. Because, you know, the longer your hair gets, the less manageable it seems. <laughs> Can you share one of those tips that you, uh, that you mentioned in your book? Well, one of them that I was saying was the rice water. Just this, like, basically... The, I mean, I, I know in some cultures they clean the rice off, like they'll rinse it off. So the foggy rice that, you know, all that stuff that you rinse off of, it could be any rice, jasmine rice, regular, plain, long grain, white rice, like basically any rice. That stuff that you rinse off of the rice is actually like a great detangler for your hair to make it more manageable. And it actually, and it grows your hair as well. Okay, so I mean, you've written a variety of books, um, you know, health, well being, you know, um, care, hair. Um, so, and also on a different variety of different topics. So, let's, I'm going to go away now and talk about this particular topic, which is money. Yeah. And you have two particular ebooks that stand out for me. And um, on the topic, which are side money, realistic ideas for extra income today. And what I find interesting about those ebooks is you have a book one and a book two. So first, obviously, just explain what the uh, books are about and how they are how they are different. How is book one different to book two? A book one book is for like an entrepreneur, and one book is for non entrepreneur. So um, you know, all my books are basically geared towards parents because as a parent, I mean, I love to read, but with kids you gotta read fast like <laughs> make that happen quick so the books all the books are like between 15 and 35 pages so those two particular books just give like realistic ideas because some of the side hustle books that I see is like by the time you get the side hustle started it's like a month later 
sometimes you only got five dollars and you got to buy diapers, milk and get to work tomorrow. So these ideas I put in both entrepreneur and non-entrepreneur are ways that you can make money in the next three days if you need. You know, you could turn your five dollars into a hundred dollars like I'm not a scammer, so I can't help you turn five dollars into five thousand dollars. But I can help you turn that $5 into $50 or $100 just based off of my own personal experiences, how I had to grind it out to make sure that my children didn't go without. So like that extra income is, is, is definitely helpful when you have to be everything for your kids, you know, like you have to be that provider. They need lunch money. It's it. I mean, my kids can't do everything, but it does hurt as a parent when your kids have picture day or some or a field trip coming up and you don't have that extra $10 to do. So I just put those side hustles out there really for the moms that do go through those daily issues, because as my kids were growing up, it's like I had to be doing those extra side hustles and nobody wants to be doing illegal activities when you are everything to your kids, like I can't go to jail for a quick buck and who's going to take care of my kids, you know? So everything in there is apps that I use or, um, entrepreneur ideas, um, other websites that you could get money right away. I mean, DoorDash, Uber, stuff like that, but I don't have that in my book, but I'm just saying like those ones that you could just download and start making money today. Those are the ideas that I put in there. So I just did it separately because everybody's not in the entrepreneur mindset. And some people just want to work one day. Like one of the apps I have in there is for the non-entrepreneur. A lot of people don't know about is the Winolo app. And I put a referral code in there because if you work one job, they give you an extra $25. So the job could be a 15 minute job going to put up a sign at a place and taking a picture to a 12-hour shift, uh, maybe working in an Amazon warehouse for for $200 for the day. So it just varies depending on their mindset. I try to really cover as many topics as I can because parenthood has no single topic. Like, we have multiple issues in this journey. That leads me on to another of your eBooks. Um, this one's still focused in the area of money, and this eBook is called 20 stock market terms everyone should know. Now, there are many stock markets. So what stock markets are you referring to? Well, this one is based on the U.S. stock market, but the terms um, work are um, explainable for all the stock markets. Not all the terms, but it's the main ones because I know when the pandemic started, everybody heard stock market money. You can make easy money and everybody went and opened up accounts. And now here we are two years later and people's like, yeah, it's not looking the same no more. So (laughs) it's just to help people because I think investing is really important, especially as a parent. Like, I don't want my children to start where I started. Not that I started in a bad place. You know, I had my I graduated high school. I had a car and stuff. But if I could just give my kids a little bit more of a head start and put them in a better mindset and state of mind, because I also have one that's going to be going with that. Like how you how to open up um, custodial accounts for your children, so that's going to be another one of my ebooks. So I, I want people, I want mothers and parents to be a little bit knowledgeable of what they're using their money towards. You know, like instead of 
buying McDonald's, maybe buy your kids a McDonald's stock, you know, because in 20 years, I'm sure McDonald's is still going to be here as long as the world's here. Like, <laughs> like some places are just going to be forever a part of, and McDonald's is in multiple countries, you know, so they're always generating money, not just in the USA, but in other countries as well. So it's just to open people's mindset to a little bit more. It's not going in depth. Like I'm not talking about I'm professional stock trader or nothing like that, but it's definitely to open people's minds. And I give some resources in all my books so that you could further your knowledge with some of the resources that I use. So I'm just opening that door, opening that window for more knowledge so that people could dig a little deeper to get the information that they need to propel to their destiny. What experience do you have of the stock market and how did you come across those 20 stock market terms that everyone should know? Um, it's just the, like the main ones that people talk about, like when people talk about dividends and REITs, it's like, yeah, I don't know what you're talking about. Or even like how they discuss the, um, like how long, like when people see one year, three months, like a lot of people don't know what that means on the apps and like when you're looking at your charts and your money on your phone or on your laptop when people see that they just see the money like that's the only thing so basically just goes it's just the overview of what all the apps the 20 stock the 20 like on the apps like if whether you're using e-trade robin hood um fidelity whatever you're using they all have like the basic these basic stock market terms in there so that you could know what they mean when they're saying that you don't just see your money and that's it and don't know what else everything else means. So it's just a basic overview of the terms on the app. So people could be more familiar with what their money is doing and why it's going up or why it's going down and how much the money, how much the stock is worth and how much the company's worth and what does market cap mean? Like just those small terms that you see on the app so that you could understand what it means. Like a lot, like I said, a lot of people only see, oh, I bought $50 worth of Ford. They don't know what dividends mean. Like, okay, why am I getting 25 cents on my phone every two months? Like, oh, I'm just going to spend it or, you know, but if people don't understand, like them, you don't have to ever see that 25 cents. You could just keep reinvesting it automatically for three to five years and your 25 cents could turn into $2 or, you know, like just from a $20 investment, like your $20 invested in the beginning of the pandemic, like Ford, as an example, Ford, I brought for like $4 in the beginning of the pandemic. And right now I think it's floating around like, around like 15, $20. So that's like almost triple my money over the past two and a half years. For not doing nothing but owning a piece of Ford. Yeah, I want you to tell us two stock market terms everyone should know that you mentioned in your book and explain what they mean and why they're important to the stock market. Okay, so let me see here. Let me get some specific ones. So those are the one of the ones I definitely think are important is dividends. So dividends is like, getting a, a reward for holding a stock. So they give you a portion of their profits after a quarter. Some, some are quarter, some are monthly. 
So after a lot of them are quarterly. So dividends are like super important because that's like free money. And as it builds up and the more equity you get, the more dividends you get. So if you're investing those same, so if you invest $100 and the dividends just keep going every three months and you, you never look at it, your $100 could be $1,000 in 10 years. It's not guaranteed because, you know, the stock market is a risk. But at least you can see when you look on the stock market terms, if you see that dividend yield, if you see nothing there, you know they don't give dividends. If you see 1%, you know you get 1%. If you see 10%, you know you get 10%. So another one I think everybody should know about is REITs, is R-E-I-T, which is Real Estate Investment Trust, which is basically like being a landlord in the stock market because as a mom, you know, I'm like, I want to own buildings. I want to be in real estate. So I found that having, owning real estate in the stock market is basically like being a landlord, except for you don't have to do nothing, but you still get those monthly dividends. So those are two, I think, really important ones because a lot of people don't know about REITs and you could buy real estate from regular properties to malls to hospitals. Like there's so many options in real estate in the stock market to be like a landlord without being a landlord. So I thought that was a pretty cool one that I, and that's one that I definitely invest in. And those stocks are like pretty cheap, like they run. You could buy them anywhere from like a dollar to like $10. And a lot of their dividend yields are high, like 10%, 5%. So those, you know, that could add up pretty quickly on a monthly basis if you're getting extra $10 or $5 every month on a $100 investment. I'm going to go on to another one of your eBooks now, and it's called Scammers No Scamming. Now... <laughs> We have previously spoke about a few of your ebooks around topics relating to things generating money. And of course, many people, um, when they get scammed, they get scammed for the reason of obviously people trying to, to, uh, to take that person's money. Um, but there's also other scams, such as you know, um, people's identity and personal data um, that people do scams for to get that information. So what areas of scams or scamming does your book talk about? And what are some of the ways that people can protect themselves from getting scammed? Um, yes, definitely. That was one of my newer ones because I feel like, I mean, everybody's a target for scammers, anybody that they feel they could get to. But I feel like women are like high targets in scammers. So I put that one out like on a whim because I felt like, there's so many different ways that they could scam, but I just put some red flags in there that'll make you be like, oh yeah, no. It's, let me look to see a little bit more if this is a scammer or not, because usually scammers pages don't last too long. Like they're like wherever a platform that they're using, even if they have a hundred pictures, if you go to the first picture, it'll be like three days ago. So or they try to piggyback off of somebody else's name. Like if you know a famous person. They might add a dot or a dash and people don't even pay attention to stuff like that. They're like, oh, Warren Buffett's texting me, asking me, saying if I give him a hundred dollars, he'll give me a hundred thousand. And it's like, that's not realistic. But I feel like when people are desperate for money, like scammers know that, you know, they do their homework 
But the people that are getting scammed don't do their homework. So knowledge is for everybody. You know, that little bit of knowledge could really save you from being scammed. So I always encourage people, take five minutes, do a little bit of research, do a little, go to the person's page, look at their page, you know, see when, when, how long their page been up. Like Facebook is one of the greatest tools ever because (laughs) I feel like, you you can't lie too much on Facebook. Like if you do a little bit of digging on Facebook, you're always going to come to somebody's real information. Like there's no way that nobody's connected to anybody on Facebook. Like you have to have, even when you open up your account, you have to have at least five people that you know to open up a Facebook account. You know, like you have to have five friends in order before your page is even active. So just, you know, doing that little bit of homework could save you thousands of dollars, like hundreds of dollars, because they try to get anything. If they can get $50 out of you, they'll get $50 out of you. If they can get $5,000 out of you, they'll definitely get $5,000 out of you. So it's just being aware, you know, like some, some revolving red flags that I often see. I just try to put them in there to make people more aware to avoid being scammed because it's like you work so hard for your money for somebody else to come steal it. And it could be, and once they access your information, once they access, I mean, once they, if they access your information, they could access like your personal information as well. So it's like that could turn into identity theft. And, and it's like, it's getting more and more and more like common because there's so many ways, even in emails, they'd be like, oh, this is Costco. You want a hundred dollars, click on a hundred dollar gift card, click on the link. But it's like those big um, companies and businesses, they don't have typos. So they make sure they go over it 100 times before anybody gets those emails. A lot of the time, scammers have typos. So that's just little things that, you know, I put out there. Like nobody's perfect. Everybody has typos. But Costco's doesn't have four O's in it. So. So two other ebooks of yours, and I want to focus on, and they are the 31-Day Planner and Stimulating Journal. Please tell us more about them. The journal is um, just basically because I had those days where I feel like I wanted to write, but I couldn't write. So it's just like to kind of like prompt you, like it asks questions so that when you, the Stimulating Journal asks you questions, so there's also pages like just to write, but the stimulating journal is just to ask you questions. Like not everybody has somebody to say, how are you feeling today? Like, tell me something that good happened to you. Tell me something that bad happened to you today. Like, what are you going to do to change tomorrow? So it's just to really, you know, prompt people to write, to really stimulate your brain to, to start writing because sometimes you want to open up a book and the only thing you have to say on there are tears. So it's just like, I think writing is really healing. So I wanted to make it a little bit easier for that process to get started. So that's why I put the stimulating journal. And then the 31 day planner is just to help get a little bit more organized while empowering yourself because all my books are geared towards empowering yourself. You know, a lot of people look for empowerment or encouragement in others, but the more you can encourage yourself, the more others will encourage you and you can be an encouragement to others. You know, edification is like a two-way street. You have to give a little bit to get a little bit. So that's what those, it's like a set of three, actually. It's like a, a workbook, 
a self-care workbook. Um, uh, it's a three-in-one empowerment book, enriched book. Um, it's self-care workbook, the 31-day planner, and the stimulating journal. They actually kind of go together as one package just to help you empower yourself. Okay, so there, there, I mean, there are also some other ebooks you have written. Um, so, is there anything you want to say about your other ebooks, the ones that we haven't spoke about on the show, um, just very briefly, like their titles and maybe a brief description about them? Yes, I do have some more coming out as well. So, some of my books are like trigger warnings um, because it's about like some trauma that I experienced in my life and how I overcame it and how I'm overcoming it. So. I know some people might have been through, you know, suicide with family members or drug abuse or violence or rape. So those books are just like short stories of my experience and then how I'm coping with them and just some resources that others could use as well to cope with if they've been through the similar, um, if they were in similar situations or had that kind of interactions with other people. So just to help people heal, because that's what my books are really ge geared towards, like just an open door to help you heal and grow from your past experience, because you can't get to nothing new until you, you know, you, you deal with those other doors. Like you have to close one door before one can open. You know, the beginning, I always say the beginning and the end meet at the same place. So if you're stuck at one, you're not going to be able to cross to the other. So it's just helping people to learn closure. And, you know, one of the resources I refer to is the stages of grief, because I feel like a lot of people and grief could be from anything, you know, from mourning, from death, from, like I said, from rape, from anything like people get stuck in those anger and denial stages. And then they don't allow themselves to go through the rest so that they can accept it and grow from it. So that's one of the resources that I put in a lot of my books because it does run across for multiple different traumas to help you heal and grow past what you've been through because that doesn't define your future unless you keep carrying that luggage into your future. So it's just to help you unpack it and throw it out, let it go. I'm on the website now and... I'm looking at the ebooks and I'm counting 14 ebooks. And as I just said, there's more to come. So I'm just going to give the titles of these ebooks now. So uh, these are all ebooks written by uh, Shante Armstead under the name Enrich Mum. Uh, we have Blameless and Free from Shame, Stock Market. So 20 stock market terms, which we spoke about early, earlier. We have a self care workbook and checklist, Depression, uh, Ways to Press On. Side Money, Realistic Ideas for Extra Income, Book One and Book Two. We have Free Advanced Hair Tips, Scammers No Scamming, Poop It Out. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very interesting title, that one. Uh, we also have Mab Series Debut, Everything You Need to Know Is Inside, Panic Attack Relief, which we spoke about earlier, um, 30 day one planner, uh, which you mentioned and stimulating journal also. And we have feel better home remedies, which you spoke about earlier. So those are the eBooks that are available under the name Enrich Mom by Shante Armstead. Can you just tell our listeners where those uh, eBooks are available to be purchased from in case anyone's interested in getting um, any of them? 
Um, I have um, my, my handle on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter is EnrichMom1. And um, the, the link for my link tree, which is link tree slash backslash EnrichMom1, um, also has where you could, where will lead you to my ebooks, which can be purchased on Gumroad, EnrichMom1.gumroad.com or on Etsy. I have them upload, I'm uploading them on Etsy. They're available at um, ebooks by EnrichMom on Etsy as well. So I'll be adding a couple more platforms, a couple more global platforms so that people could, they're accessible to people just out, outside of the United States as well. So you're going to add more platforms. I was just wondering, is, is, is Amazon going to be one platform? Because I'm curious as well, how comes it hasn't, the ebooks they haven't been put on? Because we know most people think of books or like a book retailer, particularly online, Amazon is like straight away. So maybe there's a reason behind that, or maybe that is one of the platforms that you said that you want to add later down the line. Um, Amazon is probably like last on my list. I'm not even gonna like sugarcoat it. Amazon does take a lot of profits. So I'm trying to avoid that. I mean, in the long run, I'm I'm know I'm gonna go to Amazon, but when I'll be able to do at that point, I'll be able to do packages, you know, like multiple books once they're on paperback or you know like i have a physical copy then i'm gonna move to amazon but i feel while their ebooks is more because am- a lot of the ebooks on amazon are usually free so the only thing i would really be collecting from would be like the royalties in like 10 years so i know a lot of people amazon is the go-to but i just wanted to do it things a little bit different because Amazon is like highway robbery a little bit (laughs) and they charge you as you go. I'm pretty sure they charge you as you open up like per, uh, I don't know if it goes by continents or country, but it's it's limited when you post your book. Like I think North America, when you have a book posted, it's like in, um, I see a lot of people like if they're in Africa or something, it's hard for them to purchase a book from the United States on the certain books are not available on all platforms. So I just wanted my platforms where I put where my books are to be a global platform. So that's why I use the platforms that I'm using now because they're global platforms. So that was my, that was one of my biggest things. Like I wanted to reach moms all over the world, not just moms in the United States. Are any of those, um, ebooks going to be put in paperback because they're all ebook format in the moment so are, are, are any of them already or already in paperback or will they be put in paperback at a later stage is there any plans for that yes i definitely plan on putting them in paperbacks because um i want to have them in like waiting areas for like hospitals and stuff so um they require like uh like a little type of paint like a book setting or something so i'm definitely going to be moving towards paperback in the future but for now i just started december of 2021 releasing books so i don't want to jump too far ahead like when those times come to get to that area of paperbacks and amazon then i'll be for it but i didn't want to jump right into the regular main the mainstream what everyone else was doing i definitely wanted to be a little bit different to broaden my horizon well, Shante, thanks for joining us. And that's the conclusion of this section of the Black Book Show with myself, McClellan Sankofa, speaking with author Shante Armstead, also known as Enrich Mum.
Luton Urban Radio. LURLive.co.uk I'm joined today with Fernando Rova, who is the author of the books Labrath, Sanctuary and Maverick. Fernando, welcome to the show. And can you start by giving an introduction into yourself? Tell the listeners a bit more about who you are before I start to ask you some questions about your books. Sure. First off, thank you for having me. And I'm so excited to be here. Um, my name is Fernando Rover Jr. I am from San Antonio, Texas. I enjoy everything that is creative and curious. And I really am happy to be here. Okay, let's start with your first book, Labrath, which was released in 2019. Uh, Fernando, can you give us an overview of the book? Definitely. So Labyrinth is a poetry book, a poetry collection that is centered on the theme of, of, the, of a journey, basically. Um, it was based on my recent travels to Scotland three years prior, and I really took a metaphorical but a literal, a literal journey um, into self-understanding and self-reflection and the poems really touch on that. Um, it, it, all the topics range everywhere from my family, my relationship with, my, with myself, um, my self-acceptance, and then just really understanding what it means to be a Black man uh, in America. It was a culmination of three years of, of hard work and three years of, of, you know, bunch of back and forth drafting. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm the kind of person that, I'll try to make room for like one more poem. And, and I think I, the reason why I kept pushing it back is because I wanted to add, like there was a poem that I would write that I wanted to add into the collection. And then I finally, I realized, okay, you can't keep adding everything. You have to eventually say, okay, this is enough. So um, yeah, it was my, it was my very first project and it was really great to be able to publish it through Amazon and the great feature about it is that it actually features like photographs from Scotland. So people could actually see what I saw and see what, you know, architecture and what, you know, landscapes inspired me. You mentioned photographs. So what kind of photographs are in the book? And is there any like, I don't know, unique places in Scotland that you took pictures of? Definitely. So we were in, so we actually were on this island called Iona. It's spelled I-O-N-A. And it was a, it's basically, it's a spiritual center. So people actually go there to unplug. They go there to recenter and recharge. And we were there to engage in that activity. We got to walk around a lot and meditate a lot and, you know, it was very remote, you know, there were no, um, there was little to no Wi-Fi. <laughs> there was no televisions around, there was no computers around. Like there really wasn't any electronic devices outside of our own like cell phones that we had. But other than that, there really was no other electronic devices that were a distraction. And so I got to really explore. I got to explore the, the land and I got to explore the island and I took a lot of pictures of the island, which you'll see in the book. And, you know, um, it was beautiful. It was a very beautiful, it was a, it was a very beautiful place. And the reason why I wanted to feature the photographs is because <clears throat> I had never really saw a book, a poetry book, no less, with photographs. I'd only seen a poetry book that has just the words on the page. And 
I wanted to give my readers something else to go with the words. Like I kind of wanted some, I kind of wanted there to be sort of like a double, um, a double thing, you know, like having the, the stories and the narratives through the poetry, but also a visual component to kind of further entice the reader as they go on through the book. So yes, they're, they're pictures I took myself and they're just, they're, they're valuable landscapes and, and mountains and, you know, water. And, you know, it really was, it really, it definitely captures the true essence of like what, what was going on at the time when I was there. How long was you there in Scotland and why did you travel to Scotland and particularly that particular area that you was in? So I was there for two weeks in June, um, from June 10th to June 22nd was when we were there. And um, I was taking a course, a theology course on pilgrimage. Um, and the trip actually was part of the curriculum. So we, were, so we actually learned about what pilgrimage is in the context of religion and what it means through different, through different religious spaces and then um, at the end of the semester in the summer, we got to go to Iona, which in and of itself is a pilgrimage. So there's several different pilgrimages in the, in the world. I mean, there's the Camino de Santiago, which is in Spain. There's the Hajj, which is, you know, if you are, um, if you are, you know, Muslim, that is something that is also, you know, you're told to take at least once in your lifetime. And um, Iona is another uh, pilgrimage, and it's, in, it's off the coast of northern Scotland. It's on a very beautiful island. And we were there to, again, learn and really experience what it means to be on a pilgrimage. So when I say, you know, Labyrinth is about a journey, that's what a pilgrimage is. A pilgrimage is a journey. It is a, a voyage um, into self and understanding and meditation. And for me at that time... It was a very coming of age time for me because I was uh, 22. I graduated college for the you know for the first time, and this, this is my first trip abroad for the first time in my life. And you know, with that came a lot of um, self reflection and a lot of growth and a lot of questioning. You know, um, I was the, I was I was on the, I was on the end of one tr- one journey, but the beginning of another. And with that being with that being said, you know, I really came to terms with, with a lot of different things I had grown up with and my own experiences with life and with family. And a lot of the topics in Labyrinth touch on that. Every, everything from, you know, what it means to be what it means to be a not an African American male in America. That in and of itself is a voyage. You know, you have moments where you're disillusioned and you're treated differently because of the color of your skin. But then you have moments where you feel absolute joy and you feel absolute strength because you're surviving despite the odds that are against you. So that's really what Labyrinth was for me. Labyrinth was, and still is, um, a project that represents uh, the journey and the journey of of self-reflection. Who is your target audience and what impact do you want this book to have on someone who has read it? You know, my target audience, I, 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 I write my books for 
all like people from all walks of life, but particularly individuals who have gone through, you know, transitional journeys, you know, maybe they've experienced loss in the sense of, of a divorce or a sense of, you know, they've lost a, a family member or whatever the case may be, you know, the first step in a journey is loss. You know, sometimes you lose yourself, sometimes you lose a person. Um, and so I want readers that particularly have gone through those experiences to feel a sense of um, recognition and that they, that the pain that they're feeling, they're not alone when they're in that, when they're, we're in, when they're in that space. And that the, you know, the time of questioning and, and thinking and, meditation, you know, that is, you know, that's something that, again, they're not, they're not alone in that situation and that it's normal to feel bouts of, you know, confusion, and disillusionment. So I hope that, you know, for those readers that they feel like that, that labyrinth is speaking to them and for them. Can you just give us a taste of your book? I want you to read one of the poems in the book. I certainly can. Let me pull out my book, actually. <laughs> okay. I have a number of favorite poems, but there's always one that I always go back to that is the main time I ever read it. Um, Anytime I ever talk about Labyrinth, it really represents that for me. Okay. <clears throat> this, this poem is entitled Black Manifesto. I am man-child in the promised land, a native son who speaks of rivers. I am an invisible man the spook who sat by the door. I am the water dancer when Melindy sings the weary the ground on which I stand, but the dead bury their dead. I am tragedy of white justice, tongues untied, go tell it on the mountain. I am a gathering of old men on a lonely crusade, the audacity of hope for divine days. I am smoke, Lilies and jade and copper sun, fences with roots in Harlem shadows. I am seven guitars playing my soul's high song. <clears throat> the wisdom of silence that can see powerful conversations. I am sons of darkness and sons of light, souls of black folk on fire and ice. I am black skin and white masks in red summer the system of Dante's hell somewhere in the darkness. I am in the marginal recesses of our human condition, the hidden marrows of our social tradition. I am tales brought up from slavery, ceremonies of the talented 10th. I am messages to the black man manifested. Thank you. Well, Labyrinth is a five-star rated book on Amazon. I'm now going to read one of the book reviews. The reviewer had this to say about Labyrinth. 
This self-published volume brings together the words and photographs of a young black man speaking truth about his own journey. He begins in a place of disorientation, but but takes leave of it via the bridge of words he assembles to express that disorientation. We move through the pages, watching him discover and claim his heritage, travel into love's terrain, come to self-understanding and pronounce over himself a blessing. Throughout it all, he keeps himself vulnerably available to his readers, inviting each reader to dare to walk such a via vulnerable. I was left wondering where his journey will take him next, where it might take me next. I'd love to be directed to videos of his public reading so that I could hear his voice even more clearly in future readings. Uh, that was a, a five-star review um, written on Amazon. And, you know, he has at the end, I'd love to be directed to videos of, of his public readings. I'm just going to ask now, because it's kind of led me into this question. Do you have a YouTube site or anywhere that people can actually access any of your, um, your public readings or recordings of radio shows or anything like that? Um, I don't have a YouTube channel, but on my social media, yes, on my Facebook, my Twitter, my Instagram, well, Facebook and Instagram for sure. Um, I, I posted past performances and past public readings that I've done in the past. So, yes, I do have a couple of those. Can you just share your Facebook and Instagram for people that might want to um, sure. connect with you or check them out? Absolutely. Um, my my handle names on Facebook and Instagram are at Frame Reference Media. And your book, Labyrinth, has won two awards. Um, can you explain to our listeners what awards did you win? And also tell us how that came about in terms of was you selected randomly or did you enter a competition or was you referred by someone? Sure. So the two awards I won was the 2019 Best Indie Book Award for Poetry. And the second one I won was the 2020 um, Literary Titan Award. And both awards were competitions that I actually entered and I was selected um, as the winner. I was one of many um, that were selected. So for the Best Indie Book Award, there were several categories and I was selected for the poetry category. Um, and then for Literary Titan, same thing. There were different categories and I was selected for the poetry category. And really and truly, um, the reason why I decided to even enter is because um, when I was first starting to write and I was learning like the ins and outs of being an author and any author would agree with me when I say that exposure is key, that the more people know about you and the more they can access your work, the more they're inclined to purchase your work. And also um, people want to read what others have said. So, you know, like you had read that review that was given to me. Um, awards are like reviews as well. And some, some literary awards even offer reviews to the winners, you know, as another part of the prize. And I learned that, you know, even if you don't win necessarily, a lot of rewards, a lot of award um, organizations or contests will, you know, they'll usually give something to all the, in, all the entrants, you know, all the people that, that entered the competition. And then 
if all else fails, you know, you at least, you know, you at least got your book in front of somebody else's eyes. You know, they may not necessarily have picked your book, but I always believe that if it ends, if, you know, if your book ends up in someone else's hands, it'll continue to travel amongst that, that person's group. And then it might end up somewhere else. You never know. So for me, I, I, entered the competition not thinking I win because, you know, especially as a self-published author, you know, I was told a lot that self-published books don't really get a lot of awards because self-publishing is not something that's um, encouraged. You know, people tend to say, you know, go to go the more traditional route because you have more exposure, you know, and you have a team of people, you know, helping you get to that point. You know, and so for me, I kind of was not thinking that I was going to win because I I was told that, you know, you're self-published, like, you know, they're not going to take you seriously. And so when I won, you know, it was a big surprise and a big sort of validation that someone actually thought my work was worthy of praise. And again, I was told by by many authors that, okay, now that you've had this accolade given to you or accolades rather because they both happen within a few months of each other um you know use that in your in your biography use that on your website you know use that when you're promoting your work when you have book signings you know use that because that is validation that your work is worthy of praise and that could be the that could be the determining factor between for the buyer whether or not they want to purchase the book so um yeah i i definitely encourage all writers to submit to um awards that they feel like they want to submit to because you know the only person that's stopping you is you well let's move on to your second book sanctuary which is a continuation from your first book labyrinth and just tell us when it was released and why did you feel it was necessary to write a continuation of Labyrinth in this book called Sanctuary? Yeah, so as I mentioned before, I'm the kind of person that likes to include a bunch of um, poems and all that good stuff. And there were so there was so much left over that didn't make the first installment of labyrinth and i had no intention of doing a sequel at all that was not intention that was not my intention at all what happened was the pandemic the pandemic happened and you know all of us were you know at home and we were you know quarantining and had more free time on our hands and you know um i was going through my computer and i had a bunch of um poems that you know i that didn't make for some reason didn't make the the final cut for labyrinth and you know any any writer i'm sure would agree with me that when you have leftover work you know you can either submit it to anthologies you know you can save it for a new project or you know you can you know post it somewhere like you know you want to give your work um a home somewhere right and I wanted to do that, but I wanted it to be, I felt like I wanted it to be something that I created and I controlled. And 
So I was, in, I was inspired by the closeness and the intimacy of being of, of the pandemic, you know, at that time, like I was, you know, I was, again, we, I was quarantining, I was isolating. And with that, there was a lot of feelings of, you know, safety and feelings of refuge and, and feelings of comfort, you know, at a time that was so chaotic and so unknown and so, you know, just scary at some point. And so that's really where Sanctuary was coming from because, you know, when you do, you know, Labyrinth is the journey, right? So you take the voyage and you, you, you know, you go inside and, you know, you, you know, you take that journey and then sanctuary is how you make yourself at home. You know, you make your your space comfortable, and you you seek safety and refuge. But I think that's I think that's where I think that's what all of us were um, looking for. You know, during that crazy time, and you know the reason why I the reason why I released it um, in December was because. You know, it was our very first, it was the first, it was the, it was the very first Christmas following COVID. So a lot of people were not seeing their families this time around, you know, some had relatives who had passed away from COVID, you know, a lot of individuals like, you know, healthcare workers, you know, we're again, we're not seeing their families, we're working on those holidays. And so I wanted to give something to them to show like, you know, if you can't feel safe, in the outside world, at least you can feel safe in the in the comfort of poetry. And you meant obviously your first book. You was in Scotland and you took loads of pictures. Uh, what I'm assuming, obviously, there's pictures as well in this book, Sanctuary. Well, I know there is pictures because I've I've read about it. But um, can you tell us about some of the pictures that you took that are in the book, Sanctuary? Absolutely. So, like the poems that were in Labyrinth, you know, there were some pictures that I actually had left over from Scotland that I put in Sanctuary. But then there were some photos that I had taken around the same time that I worked on it that were not, that weren't in Scotland, that were like local or like were in certain areas. But, and the reason why I included those is because again, if you, if you look at the photos, you know, they represent that solitude. They, re- they represent that, that intimacy within solitude and so yeah i i think my trademark has become uh poetry and photography i just like the the relationship the relationship between the two what i wanted to ask you now is can you because i asked you to read one of the poems on your book labyrinth your first book and i want you to read one of the poems that's in your second book sanctuary this poem is called beacon Smoke, lifting from jaded arrows, clouds engulfing, leaving no room to breathe, haze, misty blind pathways, leading nowhere but anywhere. Hope lays motionless, lost in slumber, lost but not alone. Rise, out of the shadows, out of darkness, become the beacon. Become the deliverer of light. Become yourself. Shine and break through. Dwell and prosper in your sacred land. Return home 
take your place. Cast away tenfold demons of doubt, tenfold demons of darkness. In your ungodly hour, restore the light and illuminate the corridors of love's intimate spaces. Has your second book, Sanctuary, been as successful as your first book, Labyrinth? I would say they've been neck and neck. I will say that a lot of people that, because, you know, Sanctuary was such Sanctuary was such a surprise that not a lot of people were expecting it. So when it did come out, they were like, oh, there's another one. So that was great to hear. And then, of course, because, you know, Sanctuary kind of missed out on a lot of the 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 hoopla because you know we were we were isolating you know we, we weren't able to do a lot of stuff. I and mean, i did do a couple of virtual events you know to celebrate sanctuary um but unlike labyrinth where i had a giant book signing and it was in person you know i didn't have a lot of that for sanctuary so you know so, um, for a lot of people um when, when now that we're kind of slowly but surely returning back to the in-person space you know, people that I, I run into that have bought Labyrinth have actually bought Sanctuary as well. So I would say that it has been, I would say it's been a little neck and neck. I would say that Labyrinth so far has probably been the more successful one. Um, but I would say, I would say Sanctuary kind of falls second to that because again, you know, the, at the time in which Sanctuary was released, you know, it was not a opportune time, but, you know, it was just something that I felt compelled to do and, I'm actually glad that I did because who knows where those poems would be today. You said that people were surprised at the time when Sanctuary came out. Is there a reason why they were surprised at that particular time that you released the book then? Absolutely. Because, you know, again, Sanctuary wasn't, wasn't planned. (laughs) It was very, it was, it was unexpected, you know, and that and then also because of the timing, you know, it was, it was December, 2020. We were, you know, steadfast in the pandemic and, you know, it wasn't, and again, because Labyrinth was given like a book signing and there was more I was able to do with Labyrinth um, Sanctuary, I was able to do a couple of like book signings. I mean, you know, virtual book signings and, you know, virtual events and things like that, but I wasn't able to really do a lot more with like the way I did with Labyrinth. And, you know, people were surprised because, you know, um, it was just the most inopportune time to work on anything or to release anything, you know, and a lot of people asked, you know, what made you decide to release a book of poetry at this time, you know, where there's just so much uncertainty and so much, you know, isolation, like what made you want to do that? And like I said, there was something beautiful about the intimacy of solitude, being alone, being by yourself. And while at times it can be scary, while at times it can be, you know, you feel kind of crazy and you kind of get like Stockholm syndrome or, you know, cabin fever, that vulnerability within solitude is what I, to me, I think is beautiful. And so I would say, you know, people were surprised because the timing and the fact that it wasn't planned. I literally just, I did it. Like I literally had the idea. And then a few weeks later, I went ahead and published it. So, which 
you know, that's the, that, that's the beauty about being a self-published author is that you literally can publish anytime you want. So I, I didn't have to like go through my publisher to say, Hey, I want to do this. Like I decided to do it myself. And, you know, I wasn't really concerned about, you know, sales or concerned about, you know, success, quote unquote. I was just wanting to feed my artistic um, soul. Let's go on to talk about your latest book called Maverick, which was released this year. Tell us more about Maverick or tell us about Maverick to begin with and the purpose of this book. Yeah, so Maverick is my latest book and it's my very first book that I base in my hometown of San Antonio. Um, I based a lot of the poetry on um, what's going on in terms of the gentrification of San Antonio. And um, the reason why I, did, I chose to do that is because, you know, for me, in all my works, I talk a lot about space, right? You know, Lavin was about finding space. Sanctuary was about preserving space. And I would say Maverick is about reclaiming space because within the context of gentrification, you know, I wanted to take it out of the main context of like buildings and, and roads and streets and then metaphorically put it into the context of conformity. You know, what happens when you find yourself in a space that's not of your own making? that you've been pushed into or you've been, or you've been displaced into what that does to you mentally, what that does to you physically, you know, how you're able to operate and interact with the world around you. You know, gentrification impacts us internally as well as externally. And that's why I chose to do it that way. And that's why I feel like it's important for us to, or I felt like it was important to release it at this time because we're at a point where, Again, we're slowly but surely getting into the new normal, right? You know, we're out, we're sort of finding our, our, finding our footing in a, po well, not, not a post-COVID world because COVID is still here, but, you know, we're, we're, trying to, we're trying to figure out a balance, you know, trying to find a third space, like a, a space where we're still trying to maintain a sense of, understanding of what we just went through with COVID, but also trying to return to what we knew or what life as we knew it and, and where that where that space is, relationship is. And with that being said, there's a lot of new initiatives, you know, um, politics and culture are really taking a forefront on a global scale. And we're at a point now where it's time for a change. And Maverick unlike its predecessors is largely motivated by resistance. You know, the, 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 the style is a lot more aggressive. The voice is a lot more raw and angry. And it's, I think what separates it from its predecessors is I wrote it. All, all of it was written during the pandemic. All of it was written in isolation and it was written when everything was going on from the black lives matter protests to the countless 
deaths happening and the, the, the toll of the illnesses. It was, it, rep- it literally represents the beautiful chaotic time in which we lived in for the past two years. And so that's what I wanted to um, show within the photographs, within the imagery and within the poems. So I would say that what makes it different from Labyrinth Sanctuary is that it's more aggressive, it's more raw, but I also think it's more, I've grown, I, it's, 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 a, it's a big leap of growth for me artistically, because I really had to, um, I found myself in a voice or in a, in a, in a, in a, in a setting where everything was just growing and, and I just, I kind of surrendered to the experience. And you mentioned very, very briefly at the end about photographs. And, and, and my next question is, I just want you to elaborate on the kind of photos that are in uh, Maverick, because you, you, you read the book in, obviously, the COVID period during, in isolation. So I'm just curious to what kind of photographs that are in that book. So, so, for, so for Maverick, I was very much inspired by photojournalism. I was very much inspired by photojournalists. You know, I love when, you know, you see photojournalists who travel abroad and you see a picture of a, a little baby drinking out of the, the well of, or drinking out of the hose in a, in a third world country. You know, there's something really intimate and socially conscious about that image. So I really wanted to capture that socially conscious imagery in my photographs. And... The reason why they came about is because, you know, like many of us, you know, we couldn't go to concerts or movie theaters or restaurants. And so when you didn't want to stay in the house all day or when I didn't want to stay in the house all day, I went for a drive. I would drive around. I would drive around. I would start in my neighborhood and then I would drive around the city. And as I got more and more around the city, I, I began seeing buildings and seeing areas that I would remember that used to be so lively and so thriving and so alive. And now because of, you know, the changing of the times and because of, you know, developers coming in and monetizing the the community, those buildings, those areas have lost their life. They, they, they reveal or they, have a deep sense of evanescence in their appearance, but also in their, in their energy. But at the same time, I could feel the energy of the past still there. And so I wanted to capture that as a memorial, really. I wanted to, I wanted to memorialize these buildings as a way to pay tribute to the people and the communities who fought and fought and fought to keep their land but sadly were displaced, even though that energy is still there. So I think what made it different for for Maverick than the other two was, I was very intentional about the photographs, probably, probably more so than ever before. Whereas the first two was, the first two were motivated by the poetry and the words. Whereas the sec, whereas uh, Maverick was, very much motivated by the imagery and the poems will come second. 
As you've read poetry from your two books earlier, Labyrinth and Sanctuary, I think it's only fair on Labyrinth of on sorry, Maverick um, that asks you to read a poem from Maverick. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. The title of this poem, one of the very first ones in that in Maverick, and actually one of the last ones written for Maverick, is entitled third space <clears throat> it is the architecture of language the creation of worlds by storytelling with intention it is the installation of truth the transcending through faculties of contrived social norms it is the expression of abstract conception the reclamation and restoration of our traditions and encounters. It is the sustainability of an encompassing canon, the dismantling of establishments aimed at destruction and displacement. It is the collaging of intimidations and idiosyncrasies, the strong sense of space and time. It is appropriation absent of exploitation, the conservation and preservation of justice. It is the politics of beauty, the empiricism of intuition. It is the composite of cognition, the rehabilitation of confirmation bias. It is the avant-garde of the collective mind, the environmental aspect and impact of commerce. It is the curation and cultivation of light and sight, the institution of autonomy. Thank you. What has been the hardest challenge you have come across as being an author? And that could be applied to a general and not one specific book. It could, it could be, obviously, it could be a particular book or it could just be uh, in general. What's the particular hardest challenge that you've come across? Um, I would say the hardest part of being an author is the emotional labor it comes with. Um, every project, you're essentially splitting yourself open and bleeding on the page. You know, you're showing parts of you that are hard. You're showing parts of you that, that are hard for you to speak about sometimes, but you know it's good for you because you're releasing it and you're opening yourself up and you're opening yourself up and the ironic part of it is you're opening yourself up to be judged to be misunderstood to be criticized essentially because you know not all not all work is great work you know someone's not going to like it someone's not going to understand it and that's the hardest part uh, about being any kind of artist, really, especially a writer, um, because these stories are so important to you and, you know, you're sensitive about them. So I would say the emotional labor, the, the preparation for, you know, the journey that you're going to take with creating it, but also with promoting it, you know, um, trying to figure out ways to, you know, be creative with your readings. And, you know, really try to create a, try to create an experience 
for your readers. That takes a lot of mental and emotional labor. And it's scary and, you know, very much, what's the word? It's very, it's just, it's very revealing. And I would say that's the hardest part about being an author. What's been the best part of being an author for you? Seeing my book published, seeing my books published and people buying them and, you know, being able to say that I did it and I was able to do it um, because I remember growing up being very young and dreaming about having, being a published author. I didn't think I'd be a self-published author. I always assumed that I would find a, a publishing house that would, you know, um, publish me and, you know, things like that. But, you know, sometimes our dreams dream a bigger dream for us. Um, I think for me, being a self-published author has been the best thing for me because I control every aspect of my career from creation of the work to promotion to, you know, um, collaboration opportunities, even other partnership opportunities that, that, that come up. And through the, through the process, I learn more about myself and about, you know, entrepreneurship and about storytelling. And for someone like me, I love learning. So it, it's kind of been a great happy accident in that sense. We're about to wrap up this interview, but before we do that, is there any final comments you have? Um, just thank you all for tuning in. Thank you for having me. And Labyrinth, Sanctuary, and Maverick are all available on Amazon. And if you'd like to follow me on social media, you can follow me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at frame reference media and then also i have a website framereferencemedia.com so feel free to check that out and thank you for listening well that's the conclusion of this section of the black book show with mcconnell sankofa myself speaking with author fernando rover jr